Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Hello and welcome. My name is Eric Chow, and I'm the director for the Proclaim movement. Now, today I am joined by two special guests, Archbishop Michael Miller, the Archbishop of Vancouver, and a returning guest, Brett Powell. Now, our guests have so much insight to share with Proclaim. And while we started our conversation around topics from the Archbishop's keynote from the 2021 Upper Room Conference, we kind of let the conversation roll and ended up going into a variety of topics. The co-responsibility of the laity and clergy in the mission of the church, Proclaim's role in the Archdiocese of Vancouver, and many more. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I had recording it. So without further ado, let's dive into it. Well, thanks very much, Archbishop, for taking the time to record a podcast episode for the Proclaim Movement. We're going to have a conversation here with Brett and yourself around your keynote at the Upper Room in September of 2021. Now, you you touched on a variety of different topics, and so we're, we're going to hit on a couple of topics and, uh, and really just allow for this to be a flowing conversation around some of these topics. So cool. I'd love to start with uh, the topic of Christendom. You mentioned Christendom in your presentation and you know, what it means and uh, what you've seen and ob- observed over the last number of decades. Uh, so let's, let's start there. What does yeah. Christendom mean to you, and, and what do you see as being sort of the end of Christendom? Well, I picked this up from the the, the book of Father James Shea, mm. right? I mean, that's the he's kind of pulled the the term Christendom back into popular use in in his work from Christendom to apostolic mission. Um, uh, Christendom, to me, I mean, in this in this sense, it's not just a, a a historical description. It's a way that the church lived her mission in mm. the world, which was, I think, radically. Uh, defined by what's called the Constantinian turn, when the church was freed by Constantine, came out of the age of of persecution, and was given certain privileges by the uh, emperor, by the the Roman emperor. For example, bishops then became also, had civil Mm. responsibilities. So the church acquired um, a great institutional framework, which became stronger and stronger as the uh, centuries went on, you know, uh, we have been we have inherited much of this notion of Christendom, and and it would include such things as strong institutional structure, a very defined and clear role for bishops and priests for for the hierarchical elements mm-hmm. um, in the church. It also, I think, when I understand it, it, it also for me carries the notion that certain nations were um, Catholicized very strongly. And so we would often speak of Italian Catholicism, Irish Catholicism, Polish Catholicism, and so on. Um, Christendom gave to the church a real role in public life. Um, The church itself was an actor in public life. Uh, This was true in our country for several centuries in in Quebec, up until the so-called Quiet um, Revolution. It it means, I think, that Catholicism enjoys a certain stature in society. It can maintain, its primary role is to maintain, it's kind of already 
extended itself mm. within the, the milieu in which it lives. So when I was growing up, if we talked about evangelization or preaching the gospel, elsewhere, that was Africa or perhaps Asia. It was never considered kind of internal because, in a sense, the work had been done. There was a, a Christian, I guess the worst way you'd say it, a veneer, if not, but there was a Christian underpinning to society uh, that we could, um, that was developed over centuries and we could depend upon so that the church was not alien to society. It was more or less supported by society and had a certain prestige. Mm. And this was particularly strong after the Second World War uh, in what we'll call Western countries uh, that, we're, that we're familiar with. Um, and of course, it's only when... Uh, we see it in contrast to the situation today that it becomes evident. But there, the notion of maintaining would be quite respectable because you were maintaining a kind of presence and a kind of strength. Um, that age, for many reasons, is not what we live in. Mm. I grew up in the tail end of that mm. in the 1950s as a, as, as a young boy. But it's very clear to me living on the West Coast of Canada today, that we would not say that we have a Christendom culture. Um, the church at best is a minor, has a minor influence in public policy. It has, it has some through, through individuals. Um, the general culture does not particularly support the church and in many ways is against the church. We still have some privileges, of course, mm -hmm. the fact that we enjoy tax-exempt status for churches as a recognition of the, that the church makes, um, you know, she draws great good, she's, she's of benefit to society as a whole. So we're, we're in, a, in an interim period, but Christendom really means, to me, strong institutional presence, with the things that are good in that, too, mm -hmm. um, and the things that are, that are, well, they're, they're, I think, by definition, maintenance. Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're, in a sense, there, everybody has to become better and holier and so on. But you don't, the terms of mission and going out, that there's a, a periphery even within your own environment, they weren't notions. But when there's an eclipse of God, when the transcendent has ceased to be um, a dominant force or understanding in, in, in the culture, we're in new territory. Uh, and, and I think that's where we're, that's, I think that's pretty much where we are today. So we're, we're pulling away from that, from that, from that notion. And there's it, some good in that. And it's tempting to jump right into the new way or whatever, but just as you speak about it, and Archbishop, we've talked about this many times, mm -hmm. these themes. But one of the things we can't forget is to celebrate what the church actually accomplished. I think that's very true that we should yeah. be. We have a history to be to be mm -hmm. proud of and to see that it belonged to to an age in which the church was active and inspired, produced fruits of holiness, but was living in a different world. Yeah, it is a different world. It but is. to celebrate the institutions. I mean, some of our institutions, Catholic institutions, have been around for decades. Well, we're the large, I think that overall the church is the greatest provider of education, health care, and social service in the world. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, that is something certainly to, uh, to celebrate. But increasingly there, um, 
They're islands that are having to fight for their, for their identity as, as opposed to being taken for granted as a, mm. as a kind of natural contributor, you know? And so that's what's, uh, that's what's different. And of course, the temptation is uh, to let go a little bit maybe of identity mm. to maintain the institutional strength. And that's, that's not an easy, there's no easy side to that. And you talk about the this sort of interim period that we're in I because it, it it's a place where um, some people use the language that the old has not yet died, the new has not yet begun. I think that's kind that's of a good it, way of putting it. Yep. Right, we're in that place, and I think that contributes to some of us in the church almost getting a little nervous or even in a spirit of defensive when we say Christendom is dead because there's this perhaps impression that the church has done something wrong or, you know, made mistakes. But that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying. I, I, you know, Christendom might not <clears throat> be the best word. Best it's word. just, it, it's just kind of, it's come up, it's been made popular and it does pull together some yeah. ideas. Um, I think other people have, they might place more, they'll talk about we've entered into a secular age. That yeah. secularization and, and, and it has many of the same. It's a, maybe a different language. Yeah. Christendom captures, it, it has a, an image that secularization doesn't, and maybe it's because it's new, so it puts some of these questions in, a, allows us to raise them again. Yeah. The, um, I mean, even, could we say that maybe what has changed and what would be most helpful to look at is just the different relationship that the church has with society? Is that yes. Because it's really society that's changing so much. Our truths do not change. Ch Jesus rose, he's still the risen Lord, like so much does not change, but the environment in which we are being church has changed significantly. Significantly, and I was just reading something, I just, it was just this morning, talking about the Second Vatican Council and Gaudium et Spes, mm. and Gaudium et Spes, written in 1965, was coming out of, uh, the world at that time was, of course, locked in a fear of, of nuclear war, there was a clear division between communism and the, and the West. Uh, the church still had a, a lot of prestige, mm -hmm. and the church, the church was very confident in uh, the role that international organizations could play in bringing about and solidifying uh, peace and so on. Um, that same optimism is really not present today. Mm. Uh, in the world that society is, has gone a long way into secularization, at least in the West, yeah. uh, and sort of practical atheism, the kind of confidence and working together with its institutions, that's, that's, that's lessened. Mm. Um, and so you're right, we have to take account of every of every age, and, the, and we have to be, that's why we have to be able to do a good examination or environmental scan, whatever you want to call it, mm. of, of the world in which we live, so that this is the world in which we are evangelizing. It's the world of 2021. Yeah, uh, There were other ways before. They were good, praise the Lord, but yeah, they probably won't work as well today. Is that an aspect of what the church calls enculturation? Or is it more evangelization? It's a combination? I don't know. Um, enculturation, me, I think, is, yes, I guess one of the results of evangelization would be that it, mm -hmm. the, the gospel becomes part of the culture in which it is um, 
lived. The, the gospel was in many ways enculturated in many ways into certain nations. Mm. But of course, it, it hasn't been able to sustain itself. So one does look back, wonder whether what was good maybe farther back because it because society changed and it didn't change enough it didn't sustain itself because otherwise mm. how do we explain the huge drop offs the sudden drop offs of people's religious practice and belief mm-hmm. how does that happen within a generation mm-hmm. acutely know? in quebec as an example that's the closest one for <clears throat> us yeah. it's happening in ireland there are certainly signs that it's happened it's happened it's happened in spain mm-hmm. it's happened in many Western countries, um, and so how strong it really was, or whether it was really being bolstered up by society, I don't, I don't know whether that would take sociological studies. And it put like a lot of this, I'm sure, has to be um, understood in the context of personal faith, because it's individuals collectively that create society and cultures and determine what is right and valued and all those, all those things. Like, it's not like culture exists outside of people. It's, it's what's important to people and what right. they deem as collectively valuable and all the rest. Yeah, as you say, though, it, it, it's about the collectivity. Yes. Putting together. So it's not just, it's not, well, it's a collection of individuals, but individuals who adhere to common, right. to common values or a common understanding of the world. Yeah. Maybe shift, we can ask direct question about Christendom. Yeah, well, I was just thinking about what you're saying with regards to culture, and here in Vancouver, because we have a lot of different cultures that kind of uh, interface with each other, you could have people who have never heard the gospel Indeed. at all. Uh, and then you have some of those who have just drifted away from the church um, through various reasons, and then others who are still within some of the activities and engagement of our church, but you could say are baptized but not sufficiently evangelized. So. Mm-hmm. These interfacing bodies of people are um, important for us to understand and, and know what animates their their lives and their desires. So, how do we understand? Yeah, no, I think that's I think people? that's a really important point, particularly for Vancouver, where we have lots of people who have no religious faith mm. and are not really interested. We have people who have no religious faith but are curious uh, somehow. We have. Uh, Traditions, uh, people, large numbers of that come from um, Christian backgrounds and so on, that for one reason or another um, are not practicing. And we have those who are practicing or going to church, but not, not fully engaged. And we have, you know, the overlay of nations themselves with very different traditions. Um, and so effective evangelization has to be directed very much to the to the particular mm-hmm. group or context um, it's the same way i think that it's a point that the the book of father jack gallagher makes is is that you have to there is no one size fits all uh, i think he has a little fear that a certain type of testimonial evangelization is effective for some people but it's not effective for everyone, and he makes it kind of. He wants to make a point that there are still people who are um, need intellectual mm-hmm. uh, conversion, uh, who are not, you know, 
they might not mind a testimony, but that's not that's not really what moves what moves them. And so you, we ha- the, the the church should have um, mm. different sh- should support different ways of of evangelization in different um, in different milieus. Mm-hmm. The way you do it in a university, for example, is much probably much more indirect. Uh, the way you can do it with young people can be mm-hmm. through enthusiasm. I mean, there's there's all different. Um, there's different there's different takes and we have to be careful not to be single tracked mm. in our in our approach yeah. well one of the ways you made reference to this uh, out of the upper room keynote and I'll just read it uh, is something you said where you invited us to have to come to grips with the fact that there are customs in the church habits of thought practices attitudes and ecclesial structures even uh, that uh, can hamper efforts at evangelization so you know, in, in reference to what you're saying, that there's not a one-size-fits-all to our approaches to evangelization. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we need to come to the point of inviting people to know Jesus. But what are some of those customs, habits, things mm-hmm. that we're uh, mm-hmm. experienced and used to within the, uh, the life of the church that could hamper some of the efforts at evangelization? I think one of the, one of the more significant reasons why we're not as um, effective in our evangelization is the that we have not yet built up a laity that is sufficiently confident and um, yeah confident to be able to proclaim that we're still one of the inheritances of a Christendom model is you you leave so much to the class of clergy mm-hmm. and that's that's a centuries old understanding of of how things work, and uh, it's not that that the, that lay faithful don't want to. I think that we have to. One of the big things that we work on is giving them the courage and the understanding that yes, that what they do in their families, just ordinary mm-hmm. thing, that this is the work of evangelization, that they and that they can be effective, and so. So one of the things that the Proclaim movement is very good at is it's trying to provide instruments of confidence mm. uh, to people because there is still a, 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 an over-deference um, to uh, the clerical role in the life of the church. Mm. I mean, certainly, as we know, uh, the, 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 the clergy is to, be, is to minister to the people, it's to be a servant to the people. But... There is no, in terms of sort of interfacing with the world, it's the lay faithful who have the advantage mm. in that, and you know they're the, they're the movers they they're the movers and shakers in, in in that area. We have the frequency of interacting with the world. Mostly. Indeed, that's that's what transform you transform the temporal order because Temp. we're in it every single day, right? Exactly, and so people will <clears throat> often say, "Why don't why not won't the priests do this, or why doesn't the why doesn't the bishops?" say this about matters that are of importance sociologically, and they probably should take a role. But to wait, in a sense, Mm. the notion that you wait for somebody else to do it who is hierarchically uh, situated, I don't think that's sort of the best model that we can can use, that we have to say, you know, the lay faithful with who are well well informed and uh, have a, you know, a Catholic conscience, mm. they can do these things. Yeah. People work together. Priests and bishops bless 
good initiatives, but they don't have to start them or right. or begin them or be the instigators. No, by no means. I'm thinking of Pope Francis's frequent um, term of accompaniment. Accompaniment. Yes, that's that's certainly a, a term that's entered our vocabulary. Absolutely, and, uh-huh. it, and it speaks to lay people and sort of the long process of evangelization. It also speaks to this, you know, understanding that people are coming at it from different places, and you have sure to does. be able to discern where they're at in order to be effective in your evangelization, which pre- sort of assumes that people have the capability as lay people to be able to do that. And some people don't have the confidence. So that's why I love what Proclaim is doing, because it's training people how to accompany others. That's the high... Yeah, no, and I think that the other accompaniment suggests it has a... By definition, it's kind of interpersonal. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know that it it has to do that that one person accompanies another, or... And that's um, a great great advantage. And it also, just as you said, it's... um, it's not one size fits all. You accompany an individual, or you might it might be a, a group, but but it's um, quite specific and concrete. Yeah, and I like how you, I mean it, it. It talks about the interpersonal. The other thing, maybe, and this is a bit of a Christendom thing, is that you can't have assumptions of where people are at. I think Christendom assumed everybody was practicing, everybody's got faith, but accompaniment allows you to see in somebody's life when they're facing difficulty, if they don't turn to prayer, how come? Yeah. You know, the Lord is not uh, somebody that's accessible immediately or whatever. So you have a sense of where they're at, and then you're able to be able to meet them, you know, in that place, rather than meet them where we wish they were, which is not helpful. No, that's, <laughs> that's very we, true. Or wish they were, you know, uh, further along or whatever the case may be, right? I think, I think people kind of recognize it in their own families. They, sure they, they they wish Joe or Mary were, you know, the way you want them to be, but they come, yeah. eventually come to grips. They're not. They're not. You yeah. know, they're their own. They're their own person, and and what worked for 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 Teresa isn't going to work for Mary. Yeah. You know, and how we and how we kind of move them in into the into the pathway of faith, and that's that's hard though often for us to recognize. Yeah. Just in other terms, I, I think, you know, I come from a family where there's a high level of, of, of education. And, you know, there's there's a, a great nephew who doesn't want to do that. He wants to be a tradesperson. Mm. And although everyone would give sort of nod that a person should do what, what they want, it nonetheless is a little bit of a, of a strain, both from the older generation and even from the contemporary generation mm. who sees somebody who's not... In the mold, right? <laughs> and I think it certainly that thing can certainly also apply, yeah. apply, apply to faith. And uh, then what you would in faith, then you want to bring a person to uh, to mm. a deeper faith, but they might not be there. They've gone to Catholic school and they come out of not believing very much. Yeah. And what do you do except you rant at the Catholic school because somehow they're responsible? You think, but you've got to yeah. deal with the with the kid in front of you. And that's, an, I think, another sort of negative of coming out of Christendom is, yes, like you celebrate the institutions in their presence, but you can't, they're not responsible, you know? It, it's Yeah, I think we thought that they were. Right, and that's shifting, because yeah. it's not, especially when the secular culture is so powerful in, in its evangelizing, yeah. you know, very powerful. Right. No, we... Um... 
the Christendom model was predisposed to the status quo, to, to accept things kind of uh, as they were. And, and when the status quo is not just indifferent, but increasingly anti-Christian, we have to put aside that assumption. Do you think there's things that the institutions, this is a dangerous question. Okay. That's the bishop. It's a Brett question. I got <laughs> it's it. It's a Brett question. Is there things that the institutions themselves should consider given the new environment that we're in? Yeah, there are, and they're, <clears throat> and they're trying. The one I know best, you know, other than sort of than, than parish structures would be uh, education schools. Mm. And certainly here, there is a, you know, a concerted effort to try to come to grips with the fact that, that, that young people today yeah. are different, even from a generation ago, yeah. let alone two generations. Even five years ago. Maybe even five years. <laughs> I mean, everybody talks about the huge influence of media and so on, yeah. social media, that without, we know that it has the influence. I don't think we've quite found out. Mm. We know we have to deal with it. I don't think we exactly know how. And and just the kind of effect that it truly is having. There's lot. There are re beginning reports that has a more deleterious effect than we thought. But then, what do we do with this, and how do we transfer that into into responding in a way is um, is a challenge. I mean, we certainly think about it, and our and our school system is blessed because it um, is free from government control in that area. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we can think about it, but it's 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 hard to find find ways because those sands are shifting so rapidly for for young people. Yeah, uh, you'd probably know that as a father, probably maybe between your youngest and oldest, even children. between our youngest and oldest. Yep, that's crazy. That they, that they're in a different. They came. They're coming from a different world. Yeah, when you talk about the technology that's available to little kids, I mean, our our children, we have different rules and stuff, but. You know, years ago it was maybe you get a cell phone when you're 16. Yes. Now there's kids that are seven yes. that have a phone with them all the time. Yes. And data and everything else. So it it has shifted very very quickly. Yeah. And and, and what's available to them, I, I yeah. Um, I hardly I, I that I must admit it's a world that I know is very different, but I can't I couldn't put my finger on it. Maybe another way to ask that question earlier, <clears throat> Brett, is with regards to the status quo that you mentioned, a lot of our faithful and those who are still you know, coming into the doors of our churches and, and our communities will follow the status quo unless they are invited to something different. And I think mm. that was one of those sort of pastoral strategies, invitations that um, uh, from Christian to Apostolic Mission, which yeah. you referenced, uh, made light of and, yeah. and said, we have to find ways to invite these people to something different. So what is that? What is it? What is that different thing? Like if, if most kids these days are having cell phones at the age of seven, are we asking our folks to consider something different in that mm. way uh, that could change the way we all behave in yeah. reference to the different things in the world? So I'm, I'm trying to think of even what you said, Archbishop, about some of those structures, mm -hmm. some of the, the church practices, the habits. Um, what are some of the things that we might consider that would call our people out of a status quo, even within um, the, mm -hmm. the, the expected Engaged behaviors yes. of, right? yeah. of Catholicism here? Yeah. yeah. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, you get into sort of um, some radical things. I mean, do we, to what extent do we 
do we pull away or attempt to pull away or suggest that it'd be best to pull away from um, a culture that is so dominated by social media? To what extent is that um, a good thing? And then is it even possible? Um, is it to over-demonize social, social mm -hmm. communication? Um, I've, I remember hearing on CBC a program when they were talking, this was already probably three years ago, Mm. Uh, talking about cell phones and their kids mm -hmm. and people not wanting their kids to have cell phones and then realize the kid then became socially isolated yeah. and a kind of pariah within the group so that their their social network was basically destroyed right. because the parents were working from uh, what they thought of as a higher good. Those are really tough questions to which I would hesitate <laughs> to give an answer because it looks, you know, you're talking about it, yeah, the, 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 the bad effects, et cetera, et cetera. And then you say, but in this particular case, with this particular child, there's going to be a whole range of other consequences mm. that are going to harm probably the emotional, psychological development of the child. Yeah. Uh, and how you thread that needle um, is very difficult. Um, but to invite people to abandon the way things are, that's the challenge. And you've got to have something really good on offer that they don't have yet. Yeah. You know, like we, we propose that we, it really is, as there's that great phrase of Benedict, there, there is nothing better than to know Jesus Christ and to pr proclaim him to others. Mm. But if somebody does not yet know, and simply to tell them that knowing mm. is good, they're not there yet. Right. And, and how do you open the crack yeah. to get them to that point? Because mm. telling them that is, we start from knowing that. But on the other end, that's why there's so much, um, I think, pre-evangelization that is necessary. Yeah. Without, without using even the, the, the nice the terms, if you can get people to think about something beyond themselves, that life has a purpose, that there is transcendence, that beauty leads somewhere. You, you, without even introducing any of the religious terms, which in a non-religious society or person doesn't make much sense and isn't very appealing. Yeah. Uh, but some of the <clears> other, <throat> pre you know, to get them into that. And I think that's where we can, where things like the arts and education can have a real Mm -hmm. A very important role, maybe even without mentioning the name of Jesus Christ yet. Because yeah. uh, I think if we push in too, too far with people who are kind of far away, it, there's no yeah. connect. Yeah. Pope Paul VI in his in Evangelii Nunciandi, the yeah. great. Yeah. And he talks about witness of life, witness of word, mm -hmm. and how witness of life has to proceed. Right. And it stirs up those questions. And I mean, we can be so enthusiastic in our evangelization that we immediately go to words, or we go to a witness that is not actually attractive. It can come across weird. Yes, <laughs> no, I think, I think that's true. What comes across to other kind of believers, yeah. to a non-believer, can come across as yeah. weird. Yeah. And, the, and the best, they'll say, well, that's good for you. But it doesn't, it doesn't attract, because people are... If you're not doing harm, they're kind of willing to let you do your own 
thing, you know, that's your private religion. You can do that. You can light candles or kiss crystals. Yeah. Or you can believe in Jesus. That's that's okay. Yeah. So we we have to. That's why it's really important to know exactly mm. as as close to you as you can. Who is your interlocutor? Who's on the other side? Mm. And um, I think that's where. Yeah, I think that's pre-evangelization, and that's where so many other areas of life. Mm. Um, we have to see their potential. I think yeah. there's a huge potential. For example, in beauty, mm-hmm. uh, you know that's that's a great here in the West Coast. One of the one of the areas, you know, we, I mean, we laugh, or at least I kind of laugh sometimes. You know, the 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 outdoorsy and 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 people who are awed by the creative beauty, but that's for some people that could be mm. a gentle entry point. It's not just to be saying, oh well, there. It's basically a pantheism or something. I mean, there's probably elements of that. Right, but we've got to have the smarts to to pull at the right string. This is Bishop Barron talks a lot about the truth, beauty, and goodness. What are yes. those three things that he calls the three them the transcendentals? transcendentals. Often. Yeah, that is often a, a way. Yeah, in, I think right? beauty is a, is a great beauty include, and here I think you know creation, you know, uh, the awesomeness of life. Mm. To get some of those those notions to draw on those. I think the, I've said this many times, but I really believe in this day and age, the missionary dimension of the family has never been more important. Yeah. Because there's so much pain that comes from your family of origin to encounter with a family that is rooted in God, that love each other. They're normal. Yeah. Fight and do all those things. But there's something that I think is beautiful about it that is very attractive. It's almost undeniable. Right. Because every human heart, I think, longs for that. They do, and I think yeah. like the witness of a of a integral uh, and yeah, that people recognize as a happy family. Yeah, they know every family has flaws. I think that's a tremendous witness. A happy family that is not a weird. Yeah, that 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 that's um, that's great. The other thing is, of course, one of the great tragedies of of the post Christendom age. One of the strengths of Christendom was it. It did value the family, or the family was mm. was was really seen as the unit of society, yes. and the cell of the church. Increasingly, now it's the individual yep. is seen as the unit, the primary unit of society, the isolated, the monad, mm. and um, we can see from around us the results are not so great. I don't think that there's a higher quotient of joy and happiness in the world mm. today. And um, yeah, it's interesting you bring up the the importance of the missionary dimension of the family because I think even in the pandemic today, which we're sort of experiencing, there probably was an acceleration of the experience of family for good and for for worse, where uh, people were locked into their homes in places where relationships were tense and difficult. And I think what you said about the understanding of the people that we're getting to engage in in evangelization has to know that they have a world that they've like they've lived and begin to define everything else around what they've lived. And so uh, someone who understands family in a way that's completely negative can only think of family in that way. Yeah. And yes. so us, yeah. uh, for us as, as missionary disciples and, strong, and, and who are part of strong families have a real responsibility to be strong witnesses. But in the same way with our parishes and yeah. our church experiences, people <clears throat> have all kinds of uh, 
definitions and ways in which they've experienced church. Yes. So even when we invite people back to mass, we might be inviting them to something that was a terrible experience yeah. for them growing up or Right. Oh, whatever. that's 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 very yeah. true. We had and we have to be aware of that and and the experience that they have coming in might be negative. Right. I there's something on on my mind there, there was a, a Catholic organization to which someone was invited and um accepted and then when when sort of came was you know it, it, the it, the informal introduction of the group was ignored mm. right you Ooh. know uh, they were just everybody you know they they know their own folks they have their own friends and the, and they do that we you, you know that most people have had an experience like that that just that if that happens in church mm. that just sends people away you think that yeah. you're going to you're introducing this something to which they would be attractive and humanly speaking it is negative mm. it's hard for them to see beyond that negative i mean old-time catholics might just shove it off and yeah. you know and say well i know the mass is more important and and so what but but somebody who's who's just kind of stepping in the water that's devastating oh that's devastating and um, we have to be more alert to that. Mm -hmm. The natural desire to, to be cliquish is pretty strong. And, and that's, you don't that's even a know point. sometimes. You don't even know. No. No. Yeah. And that's, that's a danger of, of, of parishes mm. where th that can happen. And so that the, the newcomer or the outsider or the oddball is not, welcomed or embraced and i know proclaim is and a lot of we we know the importance now increasingly of mm. of of welcome and assuring assuring that that's really important that's already somebody when you think of it who's already made mm. already kind of coming back to church or going or wants want to see what it's like they're not they're the close periphery they ain't very far yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and to let not to fully engage that is kind of mm. sad. It's a lost opportunity. Wow. So I, uh, but I think, I think, you know, kids know that when they go to a certain thing, when they're left out of the yeah. crowd or the in-group or whatever. Uh, but it, it happens a lot to adults and to parishes and all of those things. And so we have to be just more alert as individuals. You made a bit of a reference to this uh, in your keynote, but I've heard you say it in a variety of different places. Uh, I repeat myself is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With what's important a to you. Yeah, should, uh, but you did speak very high, um, em emphatically about the, the idea of a, a co-responsibility between yeah. the laity and the clergy yes. in the mission of the church. So, Yeah, I, you know, that's, that's the word that... Um, Certainly, of course, I borrowed, and I borrowed it from a great source. If it comes, if Benedict the Sixteenth, I don't know whether anybody used it before him or not, but I, that's sort of that's certainly where I where I've picked it up from, and um, it really is the notion that I mean, think. Let's just think of a parish. The the the, the, the priest is not the parish. <laughs> the, the the priest is the Primarily, he's the pastor, he's the shepherd. He has um, uh, a role which is liturgical and sacramental and, and a proclam authoritative proclamation of the world which cannot be given to anyone else. Mm -hmm. 
uh, that that is proper. And he's he's to guide the, the, the community in unity. However, in terms of evangelization, in terms of bringing, making the faith alive in the parish, let alone outside the parish, that's, I mean, the lay faithful have a huge role in that. Mm. Even the primary, even the primary role, uh, in, in in that respect, you know, um, I I don't think the priest primarily belongs on the street corner. I think you know, I mean, he he has a a sacramental role that is the most important thing he does is is offer is offer the Eucharist and celebrate the sacraments, and so I think it's kind of in many ways the the. the Laity are responsible for bringing people into that mm. into that space. <clears throat> I mean, you know, the priest blesses it and so on, but he he's not the primary actor out there. Uh, I have a hypothesis I want to pass by you. I okay, try. it's just coming to mind now, because um, it's very much rooted, I think, in what you're saying. That one of the shifts that's difficult, perhaps, for the church to right now as this and we're in this influx or interim period is that for so long we have been able to be a teaching church yes there's an engaged audience we have the fullness of truth there's no shortage of things to teach right so we teach the audience um when the audience isn't engaged whether it's in our pews or outside uh a shift needs to happen um when a student is ready a teacher appears. There's that, you know, that yeah. wisdom. Um, but people are not looking to the church in the same way that they did decades ago. We're not considered the trusted lighthouse, and there's many that, reasons that's, for that's that. That's a huge difference. Except that's a great phrase. We're not the trusted lighthouse. We have to gain trust, and that it's is not done given mostly relationally, which yeah. means probably burden and responsibility goes to mm-hmm. the laity. It doesn't take away anything from the magisterial. No, no, no. I, I understand. I wonder if the shift really from, you know, just being able to teach to really accompaniment is highlighting the co-responsibility piece that the laity have, which is to be in the world. No, I think it does. No, you, you, you put that. Yeah, yeah. That that that's a wonderful way of putting it. Hmm. And and the other, I, I think the other thing is that we just the whole notion of, of working of working together. Mm. And this takes it, it takes a change of heart on, on our part as, 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 as clerics, you know, um, to give people the space mm. in which they can, they can flourish and, and make their contribution because it wasn't the way either we were raised or maybe if you're older, my age, that it wasn't the way that, that priesthood was exercised in its, in its earlier years. And it takes... It takes kind of trust that um, baptism is the sacrament that equips us mm. for baptism and confirmation for that kind of activity, mm. not not ordination. Ordination equips for um, sacramental ministry and a, a, a guiding of the community for sure, but not a doing of everything. The, the, the days when Father... It was looked upon that he would set up the chairs in the hall. Mm-hmm. That this showed how what a good guy he was. I think that should be gone. Yeah, that shows that he didn't know how to get some help, even in a basic task. Yeah, of 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 a of a of a of a, 
a meeting, an assembly that belongs to the people. Mm. And that people would say would admire him for that, but not step up. It, it, I think that's a kind of an attitude that we want to overcome because that's not being co-responsible. Mm. That's when La the, the Lady Foster, yeah. an unhealthy clericalism. I wonder if part of that, and this obviously could only be explored with each individual priest, but I mean, there's been so many attacks against priesthood and yes. scandals and all the rest of it. Right. And yet there's so many good men, but who suffer the reputational damage to their office. They do because of others. Because of others. And so in an effort to demonstrate goodness or altruism, whatever it is, they're prepared to do anything. I think that, and yet it's not helpful. <laughs> it's not helpful. I think that's true. They they are, they are prepared to do anything, and I think the fact that, to be honest, that, that we're a bit to blame, but so are the lay faithful who aren't stepping up and saying, yeah. "Father, don't do this. I'll take care of this. Go spend an hour preparing a you know a homily." Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, um, yeah, I I think, but it, there's no doubt that. There's um, a the the priests do feel the collective sense of mm. shame that has come upon the priesthood because of of abuse yeah. that has been disclosed. Mm. Even though many, some of the cases they come long before any of these men were even ordained, <laughs> before they were born. Yeah. But there is um, a sense that they they bear that and that. People, particularly non-practicing people, are willing to throw in their face. Many people who are practicing, they they kind of they understand the situation better and 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 affirm, thanks be to God, they're 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 priests and, and yeah. appreciate it. But but priests are living in a wider in in the world too that has moved in a Christendom model. The priest yeah. was just kind of automatically, yeah, uh, which of course wasn't always good, yeah. But there was an automatic deference and prestige mm -hmm. to the office and that's not at all true that, mm. and that might be a bit of a blessing mm -hmm. you know that a, that, a, that, a, that, a, that a young man is not going to pursue a vocation even if it's not very conscious that this is a, a way of having you know an assured place in the world yeah uh, that they now know that they're going to be but that's not true. Yeah. There was a So they're video, stronger in some ways. There's a video I saw, I forget one of my kids showed it, but it was this sheriff in a county that was pulled over by a very junior officer. You could even tell in his voice because mm -hmm. he was speeding. Yeah. And the junior officer didn't really know who it was till he got there and then he had to execute and ask for and the sheriff, I say this because it's all over social media, the sheriff got on and said, I'm not showing you my license. I'm the sheriff of this town. Do you understand? Yeah. Like he just totally pulled the power back. Yes. And it was just such an obvious, you know, lack of real leadership and all those kinds of things. And I'm sure that's one of the dangers when somebody's held on a pedestal. And yet, I don't. that's not the case today. And there still remains such a profound dignity in the vocation yes. of priesthood. Absolutely. And one of the ways that we, I think we can model that is by the co-responsibility laboring together working together neither one vocation you know um, yeah displaces the other no, no they're, they, they're different and they're and both made for each other yeah yeah um i like to, do you remember when um when benedict the 16th came out on the balcony and he said i forget the exact phrase but he used something 
I am just a simple worker in the vineyard of the Lord. Yeah. Or uh, some, uh, you know, I think I'm not quoting exactly, but it was, but it was, it was that, uh, that notion. Yes. Yes, you are. That's, you know, I mean, we can even say, yeah, you're, you're here to help me, Holy Father. That's, yes. That, 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 that's your role. And, um, uh, yeah, that's true. Well, you did make reference that on the, at the keynote that, uh, to, uh, like important virtues that we have to cultivate within ourselves are, is hope and humility. humility. And I think mm-hmm. with regards to humility, it, it's an invitation to humility from the clergy and of the laity in order to see each other as uh, necessary in the mission. Uh, we're not barriers to each other's um, ways of trying to do church. Uh, we have mm-hmm. a common mission. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's very true. We have a common, neither is a barrier and it's a common mission. It, we're coming um, this, at this from a slightly different way. In the, say, 80 years ago, 90 years ago, there was the notion developed when the laity were first coming out that they were sharing in the apostolate mm. of the bishop and the priest, it, it's, which is a, a different kind of s- setup. It, and at the time, that was a novel idea, and it was um, raising, raising up that, yes, the laity do indeed have a real mission. But I think, fortunately, I think as we have developed a little, progressed a little farther so that now it's, it's not that you're sharing in my mission, that we're all sharing in, in the Lord's mission mm. and in different ways, just like um, there is a, a shared priesthood, if you will, that comes from baptism, and then there is an ordained priesthood, which is always articulated in the documents as at the service. Mm of the priesthood that is bestowed on us by, uh, by, our, by our baptism. And that, there's, a, there's just a shift of emphasis that um, I think is important and, and very helpful and helps us kind of think, yes, we have that common mission. That's why we can talk about a missionary key for the life of the, for the, life of the church. Hmm. That's good. We've gone all over the place. Is there maybe one? We've gone all over the place. <laughs> Last question. Yeah. Do you have a last question? Maybe uh, I just have one last question. Sure, of course. I don't know how far this is going to open up the conversation. Okay. Uh, but uh, with Proclaim, we talk a lot about the different skills, tools, yes, competencies right. that we can offer to missionary disciples in the right. work of evangelization. Uh, but with, with regards to this co-responsibility uh, in, in mission between clergy and laity, um, there's also an area of pastoral concern that we should have for each other. So yes. you mentioned how some of our pastors are, you know, they're getting um, attacked by yeah, they're getting by hit from practicing and, and non, um, you know, people yes. outside of the church, and um, they need support from the lady. Um, they do pastorally and and care and caring for you know, their lives and and vice versa. So right. uh, with regards to this concern and this pastoral approach to um, strengthening our brothers and sisters in the life of the mission. Any thoughts to how we can approach that? Yeah, I, I guess one, the, the first thought that, that occurs to me, Eric, when you, you, you mentioned it, is that we do have to be attentive to caring for one another. That, the, that missionary disciples, I mean, their primary focus is sort of being sent forth. But we always do have to still, we have to, we have to care for one another to be, to, be, to be strengthened in our own lives, to be able to be sent forth. Today, it's particularly important that um, the lay faithful 
you know, appropriately affirm uh, the priests who are who are, who are at their service. It it's it's not by being um, sycophantic or or anything like that, but it's it's by um, a personal a, a kind of a personal concern and a willingness to step up and to say, you know, I can I can do this. We often have projects that are going out to the parish, and and there's a little where they say, "Gee, this is another thing on Father's plate." But it'd be really wonderful if both if if the priest was willing to let it, and the, if somebody would step up and say, "I'll take care of this." You know, I know that I wanted to do something for the church. I haven't been, but I can do this. I can kind of look into the social justice ministry in my parish, or I can I can be worried about ecumenism, or maybe I can sort of help do the the synodal stuff but it's uh, you know and I think it but it's both the priest has to be receptive when people come forward mm. and people have to you know be confident enough that they can offer themselves and so we have to mm. probably work a little bit in creating a an atmosphere when that's just more normal and not threatening to to either party it's not right I'm trying to do something, Father, because you're not doing it, and I can do it better than you. I mean, you know that kind of stuff. You don't want, uh, and you don't. No defensiveness on either side, and that's that. That that that's gonna that takes a you know a shift, and maybe in the way we, in the way we think. Uh, that's why I think confidence is a big thing for, uh, for the laity and uh, to come forward, and a willingness on the part of pastors who have been trained and, and and we've done things in a different way mm. to be thankful for this and instead of a little maybe ticked off somebody telling me that I'm not doing my pastoral carrying out my my pastoral duties sufficiently I think we have mm. to try to pull back from from a natural defensiveness when somebody is you know doing things and very often better <laughs> you know, there's hu that that's there's a there's a humility in in that. But as we know in any endeavor, then what you want is people around you are in a sense better than you are. <laughs> mm. The uh the image that came to mind, I'm sure you're familiar, being the expert on John Paul II that you are, but noble millennial innuente, I think. Yeah. He talks about spirituality of communion yes he does a great deal in there as the other not as something different but almost as a part of me and i a part of them that's the ideal yeah and when they're working so well the priest and, and the lay vocation that's really what it is it's it's this wonderful fraternity and collaboration and right you know relationship and all those and, things and, and kind of ultimately hope kind of natural and natural yeah. you know the the, the way uh, that i mean communion should not be forced it should be in the best sense, familial, or brotherly, or whatever you know what 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 what, what term, respecting the roles of, of both. I mean, I, I, easier of course said than done, but I think we have to say it or try to name it so that we at least we have an ideal mm -hmm. towards which we're working and to which before which we're we hold each other accountable. Um, and that's again, I think a challenge. Not right. a bad one, and I, I'm, I'm grateful that, that you know that proclaim is is that's. I mean, I see it as um, yeah, it's unleashing in a particular way the gifts of confirmation. Mm. 
you know, which is, you know, particularly boldness, mm -hmm. uh, heresy, uh, being mm -hmm. able to uh, to do that, which um, that's what you're unlocking and helping people acquire the human skills that are necessary so that the the fullness of the um, of the spiritual gift can be can be made can be made manifest. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it is a work of the spirit, but working working through the very the instruments that he's put into our hands so i'm you know i think proclaim has a is, is great and it's focused it's focused on on the missionary disciples it's mm. it, no movement should try to do everything for everybody all the time you know mm. we can't do it we'll just get we'll dissipate yeah and oh, so yeah. Pro, proclaim has a focus and i hope it kind of it keeps that focus there's plenty to keep it going amen but it's good. Yep, that's great. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. I was going to ask uh, if you had a, a last word, a uh, word of encouragement, proclaim. At the end of every keynote, from the last several upper rooms, right. you've you've encouraged proclaim to be bold, and you, you just said it again. Yeah, I did. I, I guess that's probably yep. you can consider that because I do yeah. I, I do think that that's the that's the particular gift of of proclaim that it situates and uses a lot of the um, instruments, tools, the resources that. Um, have been tested in other fields outside, outside, often outside the church or not directly, and has been able to put them into the context of um, that is appropriate for mm. um, men and women who uh, feel called uh, to evangelize mm. and that they see it as coming from a deeper source, uh, you know, which is the spirit. So we owe a lot to proclaim and keep on it. Thank <laughs> you all. Well, thank you. Amen. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Proclaim podcast. A special thanks to Archbishop Miller and Brett for making the time to being part of this much-needed conversation. And to our listeners, I hope that you were inspired by the insights and wisdom shared by our guests. I want to direct your attention to the show notes of this episode where we've provided a few discussion questions to keep the conversation going. Feel free to share this episode with a friend, like and subscribe to our podcast, and to learn more about the Proclaim movement, visit weareproclaim.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at weareproclaim. Now finally, we're always interested in learning more about what you want to hear more of. So if you've got a Proclaim topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us at hello at weareproclaim.com and hopefully we'll be able to record a podcast episode for you in the future. Thanks everyone.